Song of Solomon, chapter 5, if you have your Bibles. Song of Solomon, chapter 5. I uh, heard there's a radio commercial, and uh, it starts out, if you've heard this, Recently, it's, it's for CPAC, which is a snoring issue. But it says, you know, uh, this couple, they're, do, they're like doing wedding vows. And he says at the end, I now pronounce you roommates. And then the announcer comes on. Is this the, if this is not the pledge that you took, but you find that, you know, you're growing apart and having to sleep in separate rooms and all this kind of things because of this, uh, they have some way to help you with that. I want to minister on marriage in a little bit, just in a simple way, in one sense. And if you're not married, take notes. Because this is not, uh, you know, uh, this is not a husbands love your wives, wives submit to your husband kind of sermon. This is... How many of you as children ever had someone that you said to them, we're going to be best friends forever, and you don't even know where they are today? <laughs> right? You, we've all done it, right? When kids do that, the, the packs. I remember the night I graduated high school, there was one particular friend, Kevin Gatto. Uh, Kevin and I almost went to uh, Rhode Island Institute of Technology together. And uh, we were we had gone down for the day. We had we were buds. We were we were thinking about it. And uh, as we were uh, uh, graduating, uh, I kind of had a little party at my house, and he came. And uh, there's probably alcohol involved, but we we're like, yeah, I love you, man. I love you, man. After that, uh, I ran into him after I got saved, and. Um, that was about, uh, we witnessed to him, and now, you know, 30 some odd years later, my, my wife actually knew him as well, kind of, uh, and so uh, we witnessed to him and his girlfriend, and I think that was the last time I ever saw him. If there is one friend that we should have for life, it's our spouse. That is, marriage is lots of things. Marriage will be numbers of benefits and arrangements, and but what it should be, among other things, is a friendship. And that's what I want to minister on this evening. Song of Solomon, verse uh, chapter five, verse sixteen, and this is to keep it kind of PG, but we'll probably stretch into PG thirteen. But anyway, uh, his mouth is most sweet, yes, altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Here, if you understand this book of Song of Solomon, there's a number of different characters. It's actually written uh, as almost a musical. 
and it's written. Uh, there's the response of the of the girl and the lover and the and the man and the the spouse and, and there's the uh, uh, witnesses, the friends of the bride, the friends of the groom, uh, and there's all this language and it's all poetic and it's all marveled in there. And of course, it really is more of a picture of Christ and the church than it is necessarily of two lovers. But there is this inescapable connection between Christ and the church and a husband and wife. Ephesians uses this in the uh, uh, same imagery for that. The one thing you do pull out of marriage is it is to be a special relationship. That's what marriage should be. The number one person in your life. Gentlemen, did you know that if you're married, according to the Virginia Commonwealth University, they found that you will earn probably 22% more than your single colleagues. Also, that if you it will speed up your next promotion. Married men receive higher performance ratings and faster promotions than bachelors, according to a 2005 study of U.S. naval officers. It will keep you out of trouble. The U.S. Department of Justice reports that male victims of crimes are nearly four times more likely to be single than married. It will keep you satisfied Sexually, a 2000 British survey reviewed said that the sexual habits of men in 38 countries found that in every country, married men are happier and it's more. It will help you beat cancer. A Norwegian study found that divorced uh, and never married male cancer patients had 11 to 16 percent higher mortality rates than the, uh, than married men. And a UCLA study found that uh, in general, you are 88% more likely to live longer than a single man. This is also true. I could talk about the women, and I have some of this, that you'll be financially better off, that you'll be physically better off, that you'll be emotionally financially uh, and sexually better off, overall happiness is linked to marriage. Yet in our day, people are running from marriage. They're running from it. The only ones who seem to want to get married are homosexuals, but that's another story. Right? People just live together. And they miss out on the advantages of marriage. To have that special friend with special interests. One of the kind of drawbacks that you see today is that people do get married, but they continue on separate lives. They keep uh, separate friends, have separate vacations, separate bank accounts, separate beds, separate, and it's only like a business agreement. That's kind of tragic because that's not what God intended. You could almost say today he's on the computer and she's on the phone. Matthew 19, verses 3 through 6. And the Pharisees came to him and testing him, saying, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for, any, for a just reason? And he said to them, 
Have you not read that he who made them in the beginning made male and female? And for this reason, shall a man leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? And they are no longer two, but one. For what God has put together, let no man separate. Now, that is a fascinating scripture. It is quoted often in the New Testament. It comes out of Genesis chapter 2. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother. The interesting thing though in ancient tradition, still to this day, in for the most part, is that really the wife leaves her family. Right? You have that. My wife, I had actually calculated, we, we got close to the time when she was actually going to be Sullivan longer than she had been Beckman. So I figured out the day and took her out to dinner for that. Right? But she took my name. I didn't take her name. Now again, I know there's some twisted. I know some people for business reasons and legal reasons have to do that. But the reality here is in the text that we understand that in society, but in, a, in the text he says, for this cause shall a man leave. He says that this is to be special. We, in some aspects, expect this of the woman, but he says also for the man you got to do this. And that these two become joined. That you almost shouldn't be able to tell where one ends and the other begins. Marriage has to do with two lives being joined together spiritually, emotionally, financially, physically, and socially. And that's what marriage is. It's that special relationship that you can have your buds and your girlfriends and and have the friendship relationship and that is important to have friends in your own gen, uh, gender because you know what as close as you'll be with marriage there's just some things guys don't get like lipstick and high heels we just don't get them okay ladies we just don't right and there's some things you know uh, ladies don't get about guys like why are they so obsessed about that one thing because men obsess about one thing. That's what we do. We're not that complicated, really. God designed marriage to be a lifelong commitment. Divorce was never part of God's plan. Now, there are reasons, and I will just state this very quickly. It's the AAA reasons if it, there's abandonment, adultery, or abuse. I'm talking about physical life endangerment abuse. Not he ignored me when I came home. I felt emotionally abused, so I left him. Right? Those are those would be legitimate reasons. You're afraid for your life, physical safety. They don't come home at night. Or they moved to Wyoming and didn't actually tell you. That's a problem. 
But other than that, God never designed it to be separated. They said to him in Matthew 19, verse 7, why did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and put her away? And Jesus said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted divorce, uh, permitted you to divorce your wife. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you that he who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, marries another, commits adultery. And he who marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Now, if you've been married and divorced and remarried, you know, and God's, God's good with that. But the reality of this is he's talking about the issue is the heart. That's where marriage is made or broken. In the heart. Your heart, not their heart. Well, you don't know what they... Yeah, I probably, you're probably right. I don't know. But I can tell you the issue is actually your commitment to them. There's a ministry, it's called Marriage Today. It's Jim and Karen, uh, their last name escapes me at the moment, but I'll think of it. And Jim was talking about how when they got married, they got married as Christians, and he only grew up with brothers, so he didn't know about these soft little things called women. Uh, and so he would wrestle his wife. He would, like, hit her and, uh, you know, and playfully. And she's like, she's not into that. He would pinch her in the webbing of her finger, and she hated that. He thought it was funny. So they're, they're having their problems and as they're moving forward in life, as they're going on, uh, their, their relationship is being torn apart and torn apart. And finally, one day, he's praying. He said, we had a fight. And she went in the bedroom, locked the door, and he's sitting on the sofa. He's mad, and he's praying. And God told him, it's your problem. He's praying, God, change her, change her, change her, show her, change her. And God said, no, it's you. And he went in, and he apologized to Karen, and he tried to make, you know, going to get it right, and God helped them, and they actually have a ministry today, written some books, and do some sermons on marriage, because he said, you know, the problem was my heart. Some com- couples, they don't actually physically divorce, but they emotionally divorce. It's scary to me to hear the statistic I've read this on Focus on the Family and numbers of others that 20% of married couples live sexless lives. That's tragic. Because in life, that's one of the things that makes marriage unique. Right? I can play a game with Kerry. I can go to the, you know, uh, out to lunch with uh, someone else, I can I, I can do lots of things that I do. You know, obviously, there's balance to that. But what makes marriage very special is that absolute secret place. I'm trying to be careful. There's kids here. I don't want to go too far over the line.
I will say this, now that both my kids are married, they understand some of the things that we used to try to do when they were little, and they're like, oh, that's why they did that. Anyway, they financially divorce. They socially divorce. The issue is your heart. Peter, First Peter writing to a bond marriage and from chapter 3, he says to the ladies, he says, Do not let your adornment be merely outward, the arranging of the hair, the wearing of gold, the putting on of fine apparel. But rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in God's sight. He doesn't say that it's wrong for you to get all dolled up. In fact, ladies, you can just take a little note. When you don't do that for your husband, he'll actually give up. He'll, he'll go for a little while, and then he'll give up. That's just the, because he, he, won't, he won't try to force you to do it. He'll, but he'll really respect that when you do. But Peter says, that's not what it's all about. It's not just the outward appearance. It's got to be something that goes on in the heart. And we're going to get to some of the issues of men's hearts in just a moment. So ladies, don't think I'm just picking on you. But dealing with our heart is one of the hardest things to do. They used to say that a ninja, which ninjas don't exist, you know, they could bat bullets away, right? And that they could, you know, take their hand and stick it between your ribs and rip your heart out and before you died, show it to you. Ninjas don't exist. But God has the ability to rip your heart out and show it to you. And believe it or not, you're not going to (laughs) die. He does that out of his mercy. But we have to confront ourselves. What do you want out of your marriage? Are you willing to work? I have a couple of statements I make when I... When I do marriage counseling, I'll always start it with a little bit of a joke. I'll always say marriage counseling is free. Refereeing is $75 an hour, minimum charge two hours. (laughs) All you want to do is score points. I'll gladly stay for that, but you'll pay me for that because we'll get nowhere at the end. But I'll always ask the question... Do you agree with this statement or not? Is marriage a 50-50 proposition? How many agree with that? Oh, we got a smart bunch here. Because it's not. It's 100% and 100%. If you're only giving... Well, how much is 50%? Well, I put in my share. What's your share? What's your obligation? You know, women end up doing 95% of the housework even if they work a full-time job. Is that fair? No, but it's kind of a good deal. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) She's in nursery, so I'm safe. Anyway, just saying. Right? That's why why it's, it's, you know... It's it requires a mutual one hundred percent. Herbert Samuel 
I don't know who he was, but he said a great quote. He said, it takes two to make a marriage successful, but only one to make it a failure. So let's talk then about the worse, the poorer, and the sicker. Because when we made our wedding vows, we all were pretty excited about the richer, the, the better, and the, you know, the healthier. For richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health. Right? What happens when you hit a hard time? This is why friendship and that ability to talk and share and be on the same page of course you're going to argue. Pastor Mitchell used to define marriage as two selfish people trying to learn to live together. And of course you're going to have your arguments and your blow-ups and your fights. And at times, honestly, some blow-ups because one person wants to be selfish. Or at least so I'm told. I, I've just never experienced that. But anyway. 86% of married people who rated their marriages as unhappy, who stayed together, saw massive improvement five years later. But what if they stayed unhappy? Well, it's very interesting that they noted the difference between being unhappy in your marriage which is probably isn't as harmful to your children as having conflicted, bitter, quarrelsome, hostile marriage. Studies linked the negative outcome on children that comes from divorce and found that the negative results when children stayed in, in conflicted homes as uh, tied to their well-being had greater significant positive indicators. That even when mom and dad weren't getting along all that hot, it was more stable for them. And they turned out better. Being divorced doesn't help that much. Divorced moms report more stress than single parents, uh, as single parents than they do as married parents, uh, and list ongoing conflicts with the ex as one of the biggest stressors. They feel that groups, uh, groups that are less affected as parents uh, have more trouble making their children's, uh, uh, have more trouble helping their children in their emotional and in their mental development. So let's talk about a couple of myths then of marriage. One is the, we'll always be in love myth. It's the, oh, when I see her, my heart melts. Always. You're not going to live there. You can't live there. You're going to have a bad day, she's going to have a bad day, and when you both have a bad day on the same day, that's really bad. <laughs> the I love you myth. You know, this is what, you know, novels are written that way, right? Those harlequin trash romance novels. Oh, I know, you only read the Christian trash romance novels. Music was that way. Songs are about, you know, oh, love conquers all theater. 
West Side Story, all that, you know, just love, hands, uh, not hand, uh, Romeo and Juliet, you know, that, oh, we're going to defeat all the odds and we're going to take, oh, it's going to be, it's always going to feel that. Love is not that way. True love is a decision, not an emotion. Now, I like the feelings. People like feelings. I like feeling good. I like feeling happy that, you know, I've been depressed. I've been happy. I'd rather be happy. I get that. But the reality is, true love flows from a decision. 1 Corinthians 13 is the famous love chapter. Paul writes, he said, love suffers long. This is verse 4. And is kind. Those are decisions. Patience, enduring hardship, that's suffering. And being kind are decisions you make, not feelings you have. Love does not envy. Envy is competition. We'll get to that in just a minute. Love does not parade itself, nor is it puffed up, nor does it behave itself rudely, nor seek its own. It is not provoked and thinks no evil. Isn't it interesting sometimes how we can hurt the people we love faster than we can sometimes hurt a stranger? It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's, per, that's an amazing statement. It bears all things. When my wife and I became missionaries, we made a commitment to each other that we would not lose it on the same day. Because you slide down, you, it's easy to get depressed. Think, what the heck, this stupid place, problems, language, all these kind of things. It's like, and if you saw one going, the other one had to pull back. Because it's a decision. Because I think if we both lost it on the same day, we would have quit. It requires an action. So if you're just waiting for the feelings, I hate when people say, we grew out of love. I'll grow back into it. It's a decision, not a feeling. There's the happily ever after myth. That's the fairy tales where Prince Charming rides up on his white horse, swooping the damsel in distress, putting her on the back of the horse. He looks like Fabio, you know, he's shirtless, just flow, and here she rides off. They're smiling at each other. And they lived happily ever after. Back here on planet Earth, we've got some other things that don't work out quite like that. Billy Graham, in his book, said, Ruth and I don't have a perfect marriage, but we have a great one. How can I say two things that seem so contradictory? In a perfect marriage, everything is always the finest and the best imaginable, like a Greek statue. All The proportions are exact. The finish is unblemished. 
Who knows human beings like that? For a married couple to expect perfection in each other is unrealistic. The unblemished ideal exists only in the happily ever after fairy tales. Ruth likes to say, if two people agree on any everything, then one of them is not necessary. So, the sooner we accept that fact, the better we will be able to adjust to each other and enjoy uh, enjoy togetherness. Happiness, happily incompatible, is a good adjustment. Real marriage takes work. On one day, through the day, there are tons of responsibilities, small and great, and we've got to get them done, right? You've got your responsibilities at work, you've got your responsibilities at home, you've got your responsibilities to uh, committing to other places and people and different things, and it feels like that sometimes in as you're trying to meet all the needs and you try, you got to think, you know what, I've got to think, this is the most special person. And it's amazing how just a little mark can go a long way. Just before we got married, uh, Carrie wrote a little note, uh, a little sticky note pad, said, I love you. Stuck it on the mirror just three, four days before we got married. Kept it, and for years when I would travel, she would stick it in my Bible, and then one time it got wet, uh, my hairspray went off in my, uh, and uh, soaked it, and so we now have it laminated. What's left of it anyway? And it's in our lockbox, and, and, and to have that, just that little thought can make up for all the pressures of the day. We're all going to go under pressures. And the happily ever after just doesn't always work because in a real life, you're under pressure and stress. And it's not always happily. Sometimes it's madly ever after. But you can go through it if you know that the other one is there to help you and support you to be a friend. Then also, the honeymoon is over myth. Well... You know, that's for the younger kids who are starting to love the googly-eyed kind of like, oh, nearly went to... But, you know, you're married for a couple of years, you just kind of settle into that. My wife gave a great answer one time. Somebody came up to her and said, uh, as soon as our kids left, they actually left, both my kids left our home uh, within just a few months of each other, and moved to a different country. And then we did the Dave Barry suggestion. We moved and didn't tell them our new address, so they couldn't come back. But anyway, <laughs> which we did, but it wasn't actually intentional. But So somebody asked, my wife said, you know, now that you're empty nesters, how are you doing? Like, concerned. And my wife said, oh, it's like being newlyweds, only you know what you're doing. (laughs) Marriage should grow you closer. One of the dangers, and I'll just put this out there, 
is you get lost in the children. As you have children, children come, children responsibilities, and it takes work, and they cry, and they sleep, and, you know, somebody asked me when my daughter was born, you know, how's she doing? I'm like, oh, she's sleeping through the night, and my wife just looked at me like, you have no idea. <laughs> like, I guess I don't, I can't help her, but, you know, You know, she would, you know, but children require lots of work, lots of attention. The problem with some people is that they lose their marriage in the busyness of life and the busyness of children. I love my children. I've always loved my children. I, they're good kids. One's saved, one's not, but he's still a good good kid. They married well. But I made sure I didn't lose my wife and my children. You have to apply yourself for that. You have to work for that. You have to fight for that. I do recommend to couples date nights. Get one of your friends. Switch off watching the kids. Just so you get some time together. And that you don't get lost in the honeymoon's over myth. Let's talk about our text. It says that they are friends here. Our text says, Oh my beloved, this is my friend. I believe that marriage is the closest friendship you should have. The love story. You read Psalm of Solomon. It's that love story. And we can get lost in all of that. It's like the woman who went to the police station. She said, I want to report my husband is missing. And so the policeman took this pen and paper and said, okay, can you describe him? And she said, yes, he's 29 years old, six foot three, athletic and handsome. Police officer, no, what? I know your husband. He's 50 years old. He's short and he's overweight. She said, yeah, but who wants him back? <laughs> she describes in Song of Solomon, there's, there's, if you're not 18, don't read the book of Song of Solomon, Okay. And then only sparingly if you're not married. But all right. But it's a very graphic book. They describe both the man and the woman physically. And you can read this and it, it describes them and all that. But what's very interesting in both of these is they choose not to focus on the flaws. Although some of their compliments today, I don't know if they would go over well. Your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon. I just don't know if, I just don't know if that would go over well in my house. But anyway. The picture there is can you choose what to focus on and what not to focus on? First Peter 4.8 And above all, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. 
This is not to say that we, oh, did you just murder 55 people? We love you. We're just going to ignore that. That's not what it's saying. What it is saying is flaws, little flaws. Love will overlook them. So seeing your spouse as a friend and not an enemy. Colossians 3.19, husbands love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. This is the heart issue of a man. Where bitterness is, love is wanting. Where there is love wanting in a marriage life, there is hell on earth. Adam Clark said that. She is not the enemy of all your dreams. She is actually the one who gave you a lot of your dreams. Don't be bitter against her. Don't think, well, it's her. She's That's your heart. That's why second marriages fail faster than first marriages. Because they're going to find out their heart didn't change. They just changed the person who they were angry at. Ephesians 5, 18, 28 rather. Ephesians 5, 28. So husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. For he who loves his wife loves himself. She's your friend. She's your co-laborer. Loving her means making your friend, not your cook and secretary and part-time lover or whatever. She is your friend, first and foremost. Ephesians 5.33, Nevertheless, each one of you in particular, love his wife as himself and see that the wife respects her husband. Men need to know they're respected. This simply said is, men need support. Men are naked, eager. This is why wives make good cheerleaders. They just do. Better than anyone else. There was an old general, and he actually used to bring some ladies with him. Some young girls. And he would bring them out before the troops, before a battle, and he'd say, gentlemen, I just want to remind you what you're fighting for. You're fighting for them. You're fighting to keep them safe and their future. And the strategy where men would go out and give themselves for that. Men who would die for their wives and their you know, for the young ladies. That's what it takes. Putting them on such a pedestal that you would do anything for them. Short of going to hell. The cause to give your life for. We looked at the, in our Sunday school, the Good Shepherd and laying down his life for the sheep. And we know that Jesus died on the cross. We just celebrated Easter and all that. But the reality is, is that laying the life down for the sheep had to do with the daily sacrifice of living with the sheep more than it had to do with actually going to the cross. That's what dying for your wife really is meaning. For, for ladies, it's that respect 
Listen to how Peter puts it. For in this manner, former uh, in the former times, holy women of God who trusted God and also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do it, uh, not do it, uh, do if you do good and are not afraid with terror. He needs respect. Lord? Him? Lord? Well, maybe that's weird in our generation, but I'm telling you, it's good. That's the respect, the honor. This is after he's tried to sell her off twice. Tell him you're my sister. (laughs) Okay, Lord. It's a dumb idea, but I'm going to support you in this for now. We'll talk about it later. Have fun together. Friends have experiences. I think if anyone should have little stories, jokes, words, one word that can have personal meaning way beyond maybe the definition of the word, it should be a married couple. Ecclesiastes 9.9, live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life, which he has given you under the sun, and all the days of your vanity, for this is your portion in life and in the labor you perform under the sun. One man said, enjoying life with your wife is simply things that make life enjoyable. Not to have war, but to have something that is blessed that you can actually enjoy each other. Being friends and taking time, walks and uh, games or whatever it is, that special little language that you have, those words, those uh, phrases. There's things my wife and I have that, you know, she can say one little thing and I'll respond in such a way. And this was a 37-year-old conversation, or you know, and all of a sudden, we're, we're back. We're, we're two teenage kids again. Be enraptured by each other. This takes time investing. When married couples would come, especially older married couples would come to me for counseling, and I'd find out that there's been years of animosity sometimes uh, apart, one couple came to me. They were living, you know, separate rooms and different things. And they came in the office, and it's like this is a this is a major knot. How am I going to get this out? And I'm praying. I'm like, God, you got to give me wisdom. And so I asked them a question: How did you meet? Oh, well, let me tell you. And they began to t- and so this particular couple they uh, they dated for a little while. They Uh, broke up, he got a little too spiritual, they broke up, six years went by, and then they got back together. And they've got this story on how it all happened, and how, you know, and and in the interim, and all these things happened. And I'm telling you, they they were back, they were teenagers again. They were 20-somethings again. This is is great-grandparents, by the way. Talking about, and all of a sudden they're like the kids again. He's all excited. He gets up, he hugs her. I mean, he's I it it sparked something in her. The thought there, the understanding. 
of going back and revisiting. Why did you fall in love in the first place? What was the attraction? I mean, yeah, okay, she was cute. I get it. He, you know, had a good smile, whatever, you know, uh, whatever. But the reality goes beyond that. A cute smile only goes so far. Right? There had to be more than just a smile. What was it? What and revisiting that and rehearsing that and bringing it back to the forefront and spending time being enraptured. I close with this, and I'm going to edit it. It's Proverbs fifteen, eighteen, and nineteen. Let the fountain, let your fountain be blessed. Rejoice with the wife of your youth, as a loving deer and a graceful doe. Let her satisfy you at all times. Be enraptured by her love. You can read it later if you want. But he says, be enraptured again. Be mesmerized. Let that grab you again. This is what he's saying here. And just like, you know, two young you know, dear, it's the picture of. It says, just let that get into your system again. You can, even if you're older, even if you've been married for a long time, even if you've had problems, you can rekindle that. And you can have that birthed again in your marriage. And you can be friends for life. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. You're here first and foremost. uh, You're not right with God. Relationships begin with your relationship with God. A good relationship with God will bring good relationship with people. And if you're here and you don't have a relationship with God or you have a bad relationship with God, you once had one, but you've lost it. You need to get your heart right with God. That's where true relationships flow from. And if you're here tonight, you're not right with God. You're not saved or you're backslidden. You want to get your heart right. I wonder if you'd slip up your hand. Say, that's me. You know what? I need to get my heart right with God. I now see that the problem is my heart. It's not God, it's not circumstances, it's not my spouse, it's not all the, all the reasons that I try to pretend it is. It's me. Anyone at all, very quickly, would like to pray with you, lead you to Jesus. God can forgive you and help you if you'll just respond tonight. Changing the call then to Christians. You're here this, this evening and you're If you're married, you need to cultivate that friendship. Make it the the best relationship you can. Will you agree on everything? Of course not. That's why I love Billy Graham's quote there. We don't have a perfect marriage, but we have a great one. Perfect? I don't know what perfect is. We don't live in a perfect world. But we can have great marriage. If you're single, know that this is what you need to be looking for. Beyond a cute smile, 
I think it was William Shakespeare that said, find a wife that is more pleasing to the ear than to the eye. Find someone you can actually talk to, have a conversation with, more than just a cute smile and pretty. Because if that's all you're looking for, well, that's sad. Bringing more to the table. And if you're single, just prepare yourself to be able to be that spouse to the person you may or may not have met yet. And that you can be the right friend for them. Let's all stand. We're going to open up these altars, allow people to find a place to pray, talk to God, worship His name. What's up? Who is like our God? Who is 